0: Hey, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 86. I love today's episode because it is just a testament to the idea of you don't have to always know what your path is. I know so many of us, myself included, didn't know exactly what they wanted to do with their lives or maybe that's something that you are trying to figure out right now, but our guests kind of went through the same thing and it turned into a beautiful career for her. She started in the equestrian world, took some time away, and ended up finding herself back in the equestrian world as a veterinarian. So here to talk to us today from the Palm Beach Equine Clinic is Dr. Marilyn Connor. You have a bit of a unique journey to how you became a vet. Would love to hear about how you first got into the equestrian world and uh, how it brought you to where you are today. Absolutely. Yeah, I think my story is a little bit different than most veterinarians. I started off as
1: a very typical horse crazy young girl. My mom jokes that I have been in love with horses since before I was born because (laughs) she has had a love affair with horses and even... Up until late stages of pregnancy, she was still riding. So horses have been with me since the very beginning. And I've had horses from all different breeds and disciplines, from your backyard quarter horse to dressage and jumpers. I've even done some endurance riding. So it's a pretty diverse background that I've had with horses and just participating in the sport. As a kid, I had a strong fascination with the idea of becoming a veterinarian. I really loved things, all science, healthcare, medicine, medicine. My mother, again, she was a big influence on my decision to become a vet because of her deep passion for animals. And so we were constantly, as a family, rescuing stray animals, rehabilitating mm-hmm. them, fixing them up, finding them new homes. Yeah. And that ranged from dogs, cats, horses, donkeys, you, know, you name it. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a Dr. Doolittle situation when I was a kid. My mom had some nursing background. So between her love of animals and her nursing, we would figure it out and put them back together. And when I got to undergraduate of college, I found some of the human healthcare side quite fascinating. So I toyed back and forth with the idea of becoming a human doctor, a physician, or um, an animal doctor, veterinarian. And even up until the point that I graduated, I had been doing things in both areas, whether it being volunteering. I was involved with an animal research project that was what they call One Health. So it's a bridging crossover between uh, public health, human medicine, veterinary medicine, and so that research project focused on an animal model of multiple sclerosis and how Hmm. stress affects the immune system and the body and our ability to fight disease and infection. And by the time I graduated, I would have figured I'd had it all planned out, but I didn't. So I decided I was gonna take a kind of a gap year in essence and work in both industries because while I was in school, it wasn't giving me enough time to really just immerse myself. And I struggled with that for a little bit. So I was trying to find what I could do that would allow me to help with both. So at one point I ran my own animal rescue organization and I was um, on the board of directors and worked and volunteered in various human healthcare uh, organizations. One which was a therapeutic riding program. So it's using animals and horses specifically as a therapeutic modality to help people. And that would range from children with physical disabilities, emotional disabilities, veterans and people that have been involved in warfare that suffer from PTSD or you know limb amputation. And that really pushed me back towards veterinary medicine because what I started to see with working with the horses and the people is that veterinary medicine is a way that I'm able to help Both, because people are so passionate about their animals these days. I mean, the dog, family dog or cat is much more like a child than it is Mm -hmm. just something that sits on the back porch like it used to be in farm days. And our horseback riders, I mean, myself being one, I can speak from this firsthand. It's more than just a mode of transportation or recreation. It becomes a partnership and a bond, almost like a marriage to some people. And so Mm -hmm. I saw how much helping animals was able to help people. So that kind of skewed me back towards um, the idea of going to veterinary medicine. But in that period of time, while I was sorting things out, I had an interesting career that I never planned on having. I ended up working in finance and I was involved with a boutique hedge fund, which is a specialty stock market trading investment modality. and started off at the very ground level, uh, more or less an administrative assistant. And within about two weeks, I was promoted into an actual uh, role of stock management and trading. Um, obviously there was a lot of training that went on with that job because my undergraduate degree was biomedical science and I had a business minor, but that doesn't really set you up to just wow. be a stock trader day one. But it was an interesting opportunity because it was, like I said, a small firm and the owners and the managing partners realized that I was passionate, motivated, driven, and smart. And so they put me into an area where I could thrive. And so I spent a couple of years working in that area. I really enjoyed it. I found it both intellectually fulfilling, challenging, interesting. So those things were good, but what it did lack for me personally was that fulfillment, that ability to help people and help animals and feel like at the end of the day, I maybe as cheesy and cliche as it sounds, leave the world a slightly better place than when I found it. So although I was doing really good in that career, I'd made a big leap and it was a timing situation too. Mm -hmm. Like I had some family issues come back up. I'm originally from Texas. And at that time where I was working was New York City. And so I had some family issues that I said, this is the time I'm just taking a leap of faith. I'm quitting my job. I'm moving back home. I'm going to um, apply to go to veterinary school. And everything just fell in line. The ducks fell in line. And so, shockingly enough to me, I got into vet school the first time around. Mm-hmm. It was. It's not uncommon that you have to apply two or three times just because of the sheer number of applicants to veterinary school mm-hmm. and the limited number of veterinary programs. I think right now there's 25 veterinary programs in the wow. country, so less than one per state versus yeah. human medical schools. I think there's at least three to four per state if oh. you average it out. That being said, some states don't have more than one, but just you know math and logistics. It was just uh, it's more challenging to get into veterinary school than medical school, just due to the numbers. So. That was how I ended up going to vet school, and then even when I started vet school, I guess it's because, as you can see, just from talking for me, I have like a lot of passions and a lot of interest, mm-hmm. and I I don't typically necessarily limit myself to one thing. So even when I went into vet school, although my main passion has been horses my whole life, I wasn't necessarily one hundred percent focused that I was going to only do horses. I contemplated and toyed with the idea of being a mixed animal practitioner because. It's just what I was exposed to growing up. There's not as many specialty equine-only veterinary practices in this country. And a lot of that's just due to lack of demand. Like in other regions where there's not as many horses in a concentrated area, you have to see dogs and cats in order to keep your doors open. So that was what I thought I was going to end up doing, was just doing something that was mixed animal with maybe a 80% focus on horses and a 20% focus on dogs and cats. But as my time through veterinary school went along, my participation in extracurriculars and shadowing veterinarians, I really started thinking more and more about equine exclusive. And it was my introduction to Palm Beach Equine Clinic that really made me um, realize that it was possible. I just have to necessarily locate myself in a region that would sustain that. And so I started thinking more and more about doing an internship. So in veterinary medicine, unlike human medicine, there is no obligation for postgraduate training. You know, you go through four years of your veterinary medical education and the day you graduate, you're licensed to practice on any number of species that you feel comfortable with. You can do everything from get a job, go into research, academia, or even start your own practice. You know, I mean, if you felt comfortable, you could do it. So an internship is an optional thing and it ranges from a one-year period all the way up to you can do a four-year combination internship residency. So I decided I really wanted to focus on horses and accelerate my career by doing an internship that would allow me to get a lot of hands-on case exposure with top mentorship. They speculate or estimate, like people that have been involved in industry, that an internship will give you three to five years of experience in a 12-month period. So that is where I ended up deciding I was going to do an internship. And after meeting Dr. Scott Swerdland at a convention, it was in Las Vegas. The American Association of Equine Practitioners is the governing organization that puts equine vets together for continuing education, representing our group. So I was at this conference and I met him there, Dr. Scott Swerdland, at this conference and he introduced me to the practice. I heard of the organization only briefly, but... Being from Texas and not having very many connections to the Florida or East Coast show world, it wasn't something that was, you know, I was super unknowledgeable about. So he offered me the opportunity to come to Florida, to Wellington, where the main practice location is, and visit for a week during my spring break of veterinary school. And I came, and I was really blown away with uh, the facility, the doctors the equine industry here in Wellington and South Florida in general. And so I applied for the internship and was accepted. And so that's how I got started at Palm Beach Equine. And I have been here now, this is going to be my third year. So I went from an intern to being hired as an associate, which is not necessarily the most common thing, because if you think about it, most practices that do internships, which there's only a handful of them in the country, they take anywhere from one to four interns every year. And so if they were to hire an intern every year, it would be more or less on unsustainable growth rate. <laughs> so I was fortunate enough to be offered a position as an associate and stay on. And so I've been there here since and I really love it being at the practice.
0: That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, so many twists and turns, but I mean, I guess thinking back to when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I think having that viewpoint in your life like so early on that you were able to take a gap year and get some experience and really decide. I think that's, a uh really rare and really mature of you to be able to take that time to narrow in on what you want to do and, and find out for sure what you want instead of just going at it. You knew you had some extra schooling you know, ahead of you and that you took the time to do that. That's really cool. At what point when growing up when you were riding and having that childhood of being immersed in the equestrian world, In the back of your head, did you think like, okay, I think, I I feel like horses are going to be in my life for a long time. What was kind of going through your head as you were in those ages?
1: You know, I knew horses were going to be a part of my life forever. Like that was never a question on my mind. I just didn't know if I was going to be the one on the the side operating on them Mm -hmm. or the one behind the saddle riding them. But I was and still am a rather horse crazy person. I just love them. I'm so passionate about Everything that they bring to our lives, you know, it still doesn't cease to amaze me when I watch a horse and a rider compete in the arena that you have this very large, very powerful, independent creature, you know, 1200 pounds plus Mm -hmm. of solid muscle with a freedom of spirit and body and mind. And that they allow us to ride them and do these sports at such a high level. Like, and allow is the key word because at any point they could end that equation. I mean, yeah. they are the ones really in control. But it turns into a partnership. Mm-hmm. And it's so amazing to me that what two living, breathing things are able to do together without even words, you know, just through minor subtle aids, they form this deep connection and bond. And even being on the veterinary side of it it just amazes me some of the things that they'll allow me to do. Mm -hmm. And I know that at any moment they could kick me or stomp me or whatever they want to do, but, you know, they've got this kindness to them. And so I'd say eight years old was when I got my first horse. I remember going out to a barn that we had been leasing a horse set and taking riding lessons on. And there she was, the big brown mare that had a giant ribbon tied around her neck. I don't know where my mom found it. And at that (laughs) moment in time, that was the happiest day of my life. And it just really started an intense love affair with the horses. It went from something that I looked forward to doing on a, you know, maybe every other week basis to a daily part of my life. And so I looked forward to brushing her and going out and spending time with her. And I had that horse for several years. And then I progressed from just some Western pleasure backyard style riding to doing hunters and jumpers at a local barn. I eventually became like an assistant trainer and was working with some of the young horses summer camp. Then when I went off to college, I wasn't able to necessarily afford to have my own horse while paying for school. Sure, um, sure. So I continued to work and train other people's horses, doing a little bit of dressage, riding, some jumping, just whatever I could get my hands on. And so it was never a question to me of like, horse is going to be a part of my life. It was just how. And even throughout that time, like, so I moved to New York City and it always seems when I moved to a new place, there's a lull. I don't have a horse. I don't mm-hmm. have a connection with the horse industry, but you know, where there's a will, there's a way and your heart finds a way. And so in New York City, obviously the access to horses is much more limited. And I found this therapeutic riding program that was in a local city park. They were operating out of an actual warehouse building. The horses didn't have turnout. They would just hand walk them through the parks. Mm. Um, They had an indoor arena that was in a building that looked like, you know, they could be building cars inside of. And so- Yeah, it was a really fascinating place and they've done great things and those horses were exceptionally cared for. It may sound not ideal and it's Mm -hmm. maybe not all natural, but they lived in a very good way. But at one point, you know, I even thought about being a horse professional because I wouldn't say I was, you know, an amazing rider, but I was better than most in my local area. And I think with some business savvy and some communication Mm -hmm. skills and having some good writing, you're able to maybe make a a career out of that. And I thought about that at some point, but for me being so academic and intellectual, and I enjoy the science and medicine of it, that was just another way that it shaped me into becoming a veterinarian as opposed to being on the other side. I think that there's, you know, so many different ways we can all be in the horse industry and they're all equally important. I just felt that maybe this was the best combination of skills that God gave me and Mm -hmm. uh, personal interest was to be an
0: equine veterinarian. Definitely. When you were growing up, did you go down to Wellington much or was when you went down for your internship, one of your first times visiting?
1: Yeah. When I came for my internship visit for that week long period, that was my first time ever coming. I had heard of it growing up. I am from Texas and specifically the North Dallas area. And so I had predominantly shown in uh, ditch horse shows in that region. And for me, I guess I was a little bit of a simpleton going to like. Houston all the way from Dallas. Sure. Like so yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like going to the big shows. So I had never had the opportunity to go to Wellington. And I guess that was one of those things that other people did in my mind like that I was mm-hmm. never going to have access to, which makes it all the more cool and humbling to be an equine bet working in an industry And in a region that I thought was almost unattainable, Mm -hmm. um, at least from a riding standpoint. So no, I had never been to Wellington. I'd just seen pictures of it in magazines and had those little fourteen-year-old horsey girl dreams. Totally.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What was your first experience like during your visit? What What were you? Do you remember looking back, like what some of your thoughts were about visiting for the first time?
1: Yeah, I do. I came and it was March of uh, the year, so that's pretty peak season time. You know, Mm -hmm. Wellington is a winter-based horse show circuit. And so I'd say things start ramping up slowly in November to December. But by January, it's quite busy here. And that continues on through um, the end of April with an event or an activity or a show of some sort every single day of the week, whether it be Mm -hmm. polo, dressage, jumpers, hunters, there's constantly something going on. And so when I came during March um, of that year, I was able to see the Wellington horse world in its full swing and full action. Mm -hmm. And I think Dr. Swerdland knowing that he wanted to give me the best representation of the practice and the Wellington horse show industry, he made sure to pack my schedule full of activities the whole time I was there. So it felt like I was going to equestrian Disneyland, for that lack uh, of a better expression. Totally. Yep. <laughs> yeah, like all the fancy horse shows, seeing the, the riders that I remember as a young kid watching on TV and idolizing,
0: hmm. going into
1: the arenas where everything's so lit up and perfectly clean and horses that were of a caliber that few even get to ever dream to see. I was right there close in person, getting to watch them in the arena. And then on the other side, back at the clinic, getting to see them and work alongside top veterinarians who were providing veterinary care for them. So I was blown away on many different levels. And I knew it was somewhere that I wanted to be at the very minimum for my one-year internship. I knew this would be a good environment to learn and, and see the sport at its top, see veterinary medicine at its very top caliber and learn from some of the best in the industry. And so that's Mm -hmm. really all those things contributed to my decision to stay at Palm Beach Equine Clinic as an intern. Beyond that, it wasn't necessarily my plan to stay as an associate because you know sometimes you think about going back home and Texas is a quite good horse industry. There's so many horses per capita, especially in some of the, the cities like Dallas, that it's a perfectly good place to practice veterinary medicine, but there's few practices that are as uh, well-equipped, well-staffed as Palm Beach Equine Clinic. So I decided to stay and make my career here.
0: This is a brief interruption because I have a story to tell you, and it is about our sponsor today, which is Pet Club 24-7. They have a product called Mush Ponies, and there was a horse named Odie who is a mounted patrol horse with Cushing's. After just four days of using Mush Ponies, his owner said, I cannot believe how well he's walking. This supplement contains turkey tail mushroom, an herb with over 400 human studies on its immune-boosting and immune-modulating action. Pet Club 24 7 is revolutionizing the way that pets and their parents are treated. Their mission is to provide a better life for pets. The only problem with pets is that they don't live forever. Unfortunately, they can't fix that, but as pet parents themselves, they do everything in their power to keep your pets healthy, happy, and safe for as long as possible. You can learn more about mush ponies and other products that Pet Club 24-7 has over on their website, which is Scott, B, S-C-O-T-T the letter B, dot petclub247.com. That is scottb.petclub247.com. Thank you so much, Pet Club 24-7. All right, let's get back to the episode. So does Palm Beach Equine Clinic cover all of those disciplines? Hunter jumper, polo, dressage, they do multiple? Absolutely. Okay. We have anywhere from 30 to
1: 35 veterinarians that are with our practice during the peak of season. A lot of those veterinarians scatter throughout the country in the summer months, hmm. but we have vets that focus on each of those particular disciplines. I would say most of the vets in our practice have some crossover where they have at least a client or two in each discipline, Um, but there are some vets that are very polo-focused, for example, Mm -hmm. um, because the injuries and the um, specific conditions seen in that sport may be different than, say, dressage. So there are vets that really just hone or micro-tune their practice to focus on each of those different disciplines, but absolutely, we have each of those, rep, those sports represented. And even beyond that, we there's actually a um, decent number of people that perform in the Western sports in this area, okay. um, whether it be barrel racing, cutting. There's a decent rodeo circuit in South Florida. Hmm. So that's another area that Wellington
0: isn't necessarily known for, but that we do see in our practice as well. Okay. Um, so everything really. Have you fine-tuned that as far as your disciplines that you cover?
1: Sort of in a way, and I think sometimes these things happen organically, right? Um, But I, coming from more of a jumping background with some dressage, I think I have maybe gone to more of the events and been around more of those horses and riders. And so, I would say I have a greater percentage of my clients that are from the jumping world or the Mm -hmm. dressage world. But I do have some polo clientele that I'm you know involved with, as well as some of the Western horses. So, cool.
0: Are you currently riding on a consistent basis?
1: you know, on and off. I would yeah. say I don't ride as much as I'd like to. And part of that's just because I'm busy with work, which is a good thing. I'll never complain about being busy with work. Yeah. From time to time, I do have the opportunity to ride. You know, I've developed a lovely uh, group of people that I work with, clients that have become like friends as well. And so from time to time, they'll invite me to go, you know, riding with them. Cool. I had an injury to my right wrist in the last year that has kind of put riding predominantly on hold until I'm able to go and get a procedure done to. Mm -hmm. Uh, fix it back up, but I do get the chance to ride and I really enjoy being a part of the riding world. Totally. Was your injury work-related? Yeah. I mean, being an equine vet is quite dangerous. And so I had a horse um, kick me in my wrist when I was performing an ultrasound on the abdomen. Mm -hmm. They don't like when that... You have to use alcohol on their abdomen and that can tickles when it drips down. And sometimes they're having a little bit of a bellyache from a colic and then you're doing something that doesn't necessarily feel good Mm -hmm. to them. They can react in a way so... It's just one of the things about being involved with horses in any way, whether it be a vet, a rider, right. uh, someone that's caregiving, they're, they can be dangerous. So yeah, it was on the, the job, but um, yeah. these
0: things happen. Yep, definitely. Do you find that because of you growing up riding and then continuing to ride as much as you can, how does that affect how you can treat your clients and your horses, your patients, you know, the best way possible?
1: You know, I do think it definitely plays in there because I've known a couple equine veterinarians that haven't really been a horse owner or um, a horse person before deciding to become a horse vet. That's not the most common. It's quite challenging to become an equine vet when there's less jobs available than a small animal vet. Hmm. But I think that having that background as a rider and as a horse owner, as a horse trainer, um, a horse rescuer... I think it does bring something to the table that makes me a better vet because I understand what it's like to be on the other end. You know, the the person that's holding the lead rope, that's looking at the doctor for the answers. It can be a scary thing when you have a very sick animal or an injured animal, some sort of lameness come up that maybe is persisting that you're feeling very uh, worried about. There's a lot of trust that goes into that relationship between a horse owner and their veterinarian. And I always try to aspire to be that kind of veterinarian that i wish I would have if I was a horse owner Mm -hmm. Um, and communicate things so that I feel like the client understands and be available to answer questions, um, hold their hand when they need it. You know, obviously these things have to be within reason because I only have so many hours of the day, but I try to just be the kind of veterinarian that I like I would want as a horse owner. And over the years growing up, I had the opportunity to either Work with or just observe various veterinarians that um, took care of my animals over the years. Mm-hmm. And so you pick up little things from each of them, tricks and trades and ways that they've handled the animals. And sometimes even things that you, you see which you don't like. You remember that maybe it was very gruff and mean and grabbed your horse by the neck a little rough when mm-hmm. uh, you were there and you were scared and it made the animals scared. And so um, it's learning things that you like and don't like. And that, that has definitely shaped me and how I practice veterinary medicine.
0: Definitely. What would you say? is an area of the industry that you're particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the industry either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk a lot about? That's a challenging
1: one. You know, when you mentioned that initially Mm earlier on, um, I was trying to brainstorm some ideas about that. I think being that I'm from a specialty practice like Palm Beach g Clinic, where we have access to you know, I, perhaps I'm biased in saying it, but some of the very best vets in the whole entire world mm-hmm. in our equine industry. Definitely. Um, we have surgeons. We have people that focus on reproductive medicine. We have doctors that uh, focus initially on dentistry. There's a lot of sports medicine and lameness that goes on in our practice. Diagnostic imaging is very huge at our practice in a way that's not even accessible in most parts of this country. We have practitioners that do alternative medicine, such as chiropractic, acupuncture. So, My scope of veterinary medicine includes a little of each of those things. Okay. And I would say that is a pretty broad spectrum coverage of all things in the equine industry right now. I can't necessarily claim that I do anything that is outside of that scope. I'd say I do a little of each of those things. Some areas that I feel I enjoy or thrive in is providing the total care for the horse. Hmm. I like the process from start to finish, you know, being involved with the person that's going out to seek a new horse um, doing the pre-purchase examination, making sure that they find an equine athlete, that's going to be a long-term partner from them, from a soundness Mm -hmm. and health standpoint, but even from a, um, participation and, uh, relationship where they bond together, um, making sure it's a good fit. And a lot of times the trainer is much more integral in that than I am, but, Mm -hmm. um, providing guidance and advice in that area. Then as that owner has that horse, being there along every step of the way providing routine wellness care preventative medicine helping them understand nutrition and how that is important in the horse and ensuring that it remains healthy going through problems as they arise you know colic injuries so on and so forth something that's newer to my practice is alternative medicine hmm. so i have gone through the chi institute which is in northern california it's the oldest and one of the most reputable institutes for veterinary alternative medicine in Chinese medicine. So getting certified in veterinary acupuncture has been something that I've been added to my personal practice um, as a new way to help my equine and small animal patients. So I underwent training on both sides of it. I think it's a nice modality that can complement traditional Western medicine and just something else that can help animals in a way that sometimes medications and traditional Western medicine doesn't always, you know, do all the things we want it to. Or one of the nice things about alternative medicine, Chinese medicine is that it is a pharmaceutical free version of uh, veterinary care and sometimes can be helpful in the show world. So when you're not able to administer particular anti-inflammatory medications or calming agents, acupuncture can have some benefit that would mimic that in a way that wouldn't necessarily interfere with uh, top level drug prohibitive competitions
0: exactly yeah that's a really good point that's a, yeah that's a great service to have you know in your arsenal and and something that probably not a lot of vets have
1: right it's becoming more common i think it's becoming more widely accepted but mm-hmm. uh, certainly there's not as many practitioners throughout the country that have training in that and i think over time our clientele will dictate you know regions that have more Chinese medicine or acupuncture. Like Wellington, you can actually find quite a few doctors that have sure. access to acupuncture training because of the horse show world. But in other areas, it may not be as easily accessible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. On, on any given week, how often would you say are you giving horses, let's say, like, like joint injections? How often are you doing something like that? That
1: totally depends on the time of year. Mm -hmm. During season, I mean, it could be daily.
0: Um,
1: Not the same horse, obviously, but there (laughs) could be an appointment every day for some sort of sports-related issue. During the off-season or periods where there's not as many shows, such as right now, it may be less frequent. It might be every several weeks. And you know, as a vet, just because I go out to an appointment that has a lameness, it may not necessarily decide that I'm going to do a joint injection. I have to look at the bigger picture, the horse's whole health issues, decide of the the goals and expectations of the client, financial limitations if that may be the case, mm-hmm. um, and put together a good, you know, plan on try to get the horse back to soundness mm-hmm. in a way that works for everybody. Um, but joint injections are definitely a big part of equine sports medicine and lameness. It's a nice tool that we have available to help the horses to keep inflammation down in the joint when they're involved in top level competition with many competitions per week for a period of time, like when you're talking about WEF here in Wellington, you've got 16 weeks straight of competition. And if that horse competes in most, if not all of those weeks, there's going to be a high level of wear and tear that goes on in the the body. And joint injections can be helpful to supplement other ways to decrease inflammation. Sometimes we use products like steroids interarticularly. With newer regenerative medicine techniques, we're able to take blood and derive Naturally biologic products that decrease inflammation in the body without the usage of steroids. Those have multiple benefits because they may be more regenerative, meaning actually improving the cartilage and the synovial fluid in the the joint, as well as having a shorter period of time where medications or drugs could be detected in the system so Mm -hmm. the horse could get back into the show ring sooner for top level competitions like FEI level jumping or dressage. Mm
0: -hmm, Definitely. Without obviously giving me any patient information or details. I'm sure there's been situations where you have worked with a horse and have looked through everything, you know, tried to figure out something that's wrong or if a horse is off or or lame and just cannot figure, you know, you're stumped or or it takes you a long time to narrow in on what the issue is or what the core of the problem is. What are some things that you do to try to avoid that or try to be able to work through some of those more difficult uh, cases? Yeah,
1: certainly that is something that happens more often in veterinary medicine than I think people realize Mm -hmm. because animals are not able to speak with us. Sometimes understanding the main fundamental underlying problem is more challenging than what meets the eye. You may go into a situation like a lameness, for example, based on what the rider and the owner is telling you the predominant problem is. Um, They may be thinking it's, for example, the left front leg, and it could be a totally different part of the body. It might be the right hind leg. It might be in the back. Mm -hmm. So going into a case with an open mind, um, always trying to make my own decision and my own assessment without having previous uh, parties that looked at the animal potentially skewed, that could be the owner or even referring veterinarian information. But then beyond that, after I've made my own assessment is collaboration. You know, and that's one thing that I'm really fortunate to be involved with the large practice like Palm Beach Equine Clinic, where we have so many exceptional veterinarians involved in our group that are very willing to share their knowledge and expertise and work together on cases. So I very often will collaborate, whether that be just coming back to the clinic pulling up my computer, looking at the x-rays with another doctor, telling them about Mm -hmm. my findings, you know, how I worked through that lameness, for example, and what the changes that I saw as I was going along through the case and getting their ideas. In medicine in general, whether it be veterinary medicine or human medicine, you often have to work through things systematically and you may not get answers the day one, you know, when you go out and see that animal. You have to try the most common or um, logical treatment or diagnostic approach first and sometimes it is a little bit of trial and error because these animals can't speak. They can't just point to the area and say, this is the part of my leg that hurts, you know, fix this. Right.
0: Ugh, um, I mean, I bet you probably that goes through your head all the time. Like, gosh, if you could just tell me what is hurting. <laughs> it'd be so nice. You know, uh, and, and oftentimes too, it's because it's
1: multifactorial. Like yeah. these are top working athletes. And so just because you find mm-hmm. one problem doesn't mean there's not mm-hmm. an, another area that's contributing to the issue. Like Their foot might hurt, but their back might also be sore, and so remembering not to just focus in on one thing and assume that's it. But it's certainly a lot easier as a vet when you have a good team behind you um, and a team that's willing to work together and collaborate. And so that does make it easier on these tough cases at Palm Beach Equine Clinic because we can just pull the brain power and have multiple eyes looking at the animal and get to a best case result, so that we have a happy patient outcome with a horse that's getting back on its road to recovery, and then a happy Mm -hmm. client outcome because, you know, they're happy that they got answers or solutions in the most efficient way possible.
0: Definitely. Do you have a big space for patients that are staying with you on your grounds? Yes, we do. Palm Beach Equine Clinic has a, quite a nice facility. We have a
1: 12-stall main barn where we keep, can keep hospitalized patients. The stalls are equipped with uh, cameras that have audio as well so that we can monitor them. We have on-site hospitalized technicians that are there 24 hours a day to um, watch the horses, provide veterinary care, make sure that they're well observed at all times. We also have some auxiliary stalls that when those 12 stalls get filled up, we're able to have a space available for maybe the patients that don't need as much intensive monitoring or say a horse that gets dropped off for a procedure the next day and they just need to be withheld from food overnight. And then we also have an isolation suite. So we have three stalls that are dedicated to each of them act as their own self-contained unit So the idea of an isolation stall is when we have a horse that comes in that is either A, confirmed to be sick, or B, suspect of being very ill with a contagious disease. We put them in that area so that we limit the exposure of uh, other horses that come into our hospital to those kind of pathogens. And then sometimes it's even for that own individual horse, the one that's in isolation, their best interest too, because they're quite sick and they might be um, immunocompromised from whatever is going on in their body at that time. And we don't want them to pick up something else from another animal that comes through the clinic. So we have a, a large facility with a lot of different options for our equine patients. Our footprint, is rather limited. Wellington is quite developed areas. Right. So there's so much space geographically we can go in, but we've made a really efficient use of the, the real estate that the clinic sits on, having all those stalls available. And then we have our on-site surgical facility with an operating room, some recovery stalls where the, the horses after surgery can uh, wake up from anesthesia and a nice safe padded room, multiple different rooms that are dedicated toward diagnostic imaging. We have both an MRI, a nuclear scintigraphy unit, which is also called bone scan, which is useful for diagnosing changes in the bones or soft tissue in an early stage Hmm. um, by looking at the metabolite that we put in the horse, how the bone uptakes that, which could be an indication of trauma or uh, remodeling. And then we're one of the few veterinary facilities in the country that actually has a, a CT or computed tomography unit. So, that is the best way to explain it is like a 3D x ray, and it's taking yeah. a view of um, the body and creating a model that looks like a 3D model of the animal. Um, so, that's helpful for diagnosing both bony or orthopedic issues or soft tissue issues in the horse.
0: Wow, amazing. That's so cool. Well, it seems like you are in the right place for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can't be better than this, honestly. Like, yeah. there's a couple different pockets of the country that have this many horses concentrated with this many, you know, awesome shows that you get to be be ringside for your equine athletes. And mm-hmm. so it's really nice. And as a vet, that's sometimes one of the most exciting things I get to do is just go sit ringside yeah. and watch that horse that you know last week you were helping piece back together, whether right. it be from a colic or a minor injury. And then knowing that, you know, as much training and good background of getting this horse conditioned, as much as that was important, you were also an important part of it. And so it makes Mm -hmm. you feel proud. That's a fun thing you get to do in Wellington that maybe other parts of the world you wouldn't necessarily get to see because the horse leaves and it goes to a show, but it might be three hours away.
0: Mm Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so nice to be in that type of community and you're definitely a a big part of a lot of teams. So I'm sure that's so incredible to watch and see for yourself. Well, Dr. Connor, thank you so much for taking the time to run us through your life and what you're working on today. It sounds amazing. And I just wish you all the best.
1: Well, thank you very much, Bethany. And I enjoy getting to speak with you and I love giving the opportunity to just tell people about my day. So thank you so much.
0: All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.